So today's subject, uh, live and stop worrying. Tell your neighbor, live and stop worrying. So in the summertime, what I do is a lot of very practical kind of messages that uh, really are things that we think about and talk about, um, but we don't talk about them enough in church. Uh, so I kind of dig into them throughout Bible study and on Sunday mornings. And so we'll do messages on marriage and uh, what it means to be in and out of relationship. That'll be one because those are the top stuff that really, you know, messes with us, stuff that we don't talk about. Uh, we did a summer series on sexual orientation one time and how we deal with that kind of stuff. Cause we don't talk about it enough. Amen. Uh, every one of us in here encounters someone whom we love and whom we care for uh, that may not think along the same lines that we do. And we want to know how do we treat people. God doesn't give you a license to treat anybody bad. Amen. And we love and respect and affirm the humanity of all people. And so the scripture teaches us how to do that. But if we don't deal with that kind of stuff in church, a lot of folk kind of go, well, what do we do? What do we do? Uh, so I'm starting off kind of soft today with this worry and anxiety piece. Uh, this is just a runway message, and we're going to get up there going. But believe it or not, of the top three things that we uh, don't talk about that impact us the most in our faith, worry and anxiety was at the top of the list. Uh, money was at the top of the list. It was the other subject. And so we don't get enough teaching on money. We don't get enough teaching on uh, worry and stuff like that. Uh, we don't get enough teaching on human relationships and things of that effect. Uh, one summer, I dealt with a sermon series called How to Treat One Another. And uh, a lot of people really enjoyed that. And then the next summer, I dealt with uh, uh, How to Deal with Difficult People. And in one day, we sold like 700 CDs, amen, because uh, everybody thought that they were buying a CD for a difficult person and giving it to them. But the truth of it is, we're all somebody's difficult person, amen. So uh, it was a good sermon series. So I'm going to go back and get that one at some point and probably pull that message out and rework it and deal with it. But today, I want to deal with this one that is found in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, when you look at it, it's in two places in, this, in the Bible. And I want to read it from Matthew's Gospel. Keep your seat on today so you can really get it and kind of uh, read along, or not necessarily read out loud with me, but read alongside me. And then I'm going to read a couple of verses from Luke's Gospel. He has it also, uh, but I want you to see something that he adds to it. So starting at Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 25, uh, for our in-house and at-home audience, here's what the Bible says. It says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Now, I'm going to read all of it, but I want you to get that part. Do not worry about. All right, so which part of my life are you talking about, Pastor? That's the problem right there. You got too many lives. My home life is okay, but my work life, no, no, no. Do not worry about your life. How many of us got too many lives? We need to reconcile them and make them one. Amen. I need, it's, it's just one life to live. I got one life. And so it, it's all, my, it, all of my life is not under the authority of God. If God is not God of everything, Lord and Savior of everything, he can't be God of church and God of home, but not God of work. 
He is, he's saying, let everything be under my authority. So, if it, I mean, the money you make on your job, amen, that's under God's authority too, all right? Uh, everything is under God's authority. So do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, amen. You mean I didn't have to put all this on this morning? And, uh, it's, I'm glad you did. Don't get me wrong, all right? You look good. <laughs> but don't let it be so consuming that I can't go nowhere looking like this. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Watch verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Amen? Y'all should applaud it real loud on that. Y'all the God seekers, right? At least fool me into thinking it for a moment, all right? Come on. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. Go over to Luke chapter uh, 12, Luke chapter 12, and I'm just simply going to read verses 31 and 32. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. This is Luke closing the same message that Jesus spoke. But he adds verse 32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Verse 33. I might as well read it all. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens and does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But verse 32 says again, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen. So I want to talk this morning just from these thoughts, a cure for an anxious heart, second guessing and overthinking. All right. Anxiety is a word that sometimes the generations will disagree on because the young people will say, I don't worry about anything. But the truth of it is, it is said that this is the most worrisome generation in the past ages, only because they overthink. They do not use the word anxiety. They do not use the word worry. They just overthink everything. 
And then when they overthink it and cannot rationalize it or figure it out, they check out. So this group has become somewhat hopeless, not believing that there's any good or the possibilities of doing what other generations labored for. They are now saying, you know what? There's no sense in going through all of that. The college degree is not what it used to be worth. So why would I go to school for all those years and still not get a job? Or why would I do this? They overthink. They worry, they have anxiety, they've lost hope in many ways. And this is what happens when we are pulled in many directions at one time. The Greek word for anxiety means to be divided in our thought, to be pulled in two directions at the same time. Literally, to be pulled into pieces or to follow after one mind or another mind because we're always thinking, rethinking, and thinking again the same thought. It is to say what the scripture says, that a double-minded person is unstable in all of their ways. And so whenever we have anxiety, it's because we're being pulled in too many directions at the same time. Anybody in here ever felt that, where you're being pulled in too many directions at the same time? You got one thing over here and one thing over there, and you're trying to figure out what to do, and you can't prioritize them and figure them out? Well, here it is. What the Lord says to us, he says, Look, rather than worrying about all of that stuff, whether it's food or clothes or work or what you're trying to eat or what your body's going to look like, he said, tell you what, put me first and seek me first and make me your first priority. And if you make me your first priority, I'll help you with all your other priorities. And one of the things that happens to us is that procrastination will grab us and we will freeze. We don't make any choices because we have not made God our first choice. And if God becomes our first choice, he helps us to order the rest of the choices. He lets us know what's important. He lets us know what to do, what not to do, how to get things done. He said, but you got to put me first. And if you put me first, I will put all of these other things in place. And what happens all too often with us is that we go chasing after this or chasing after that, thinking we can add something to our life. And what we end up doing is getting a whole lot of stuff that keep us up all night long. I said to the 745 service this morning, and since I'm an equal opportunity pastor, if you got something in your driveway that caused you to get up and go check on it every two or three hours, you might need to get rid of it. It's going to get better. If you got something in your house that you got to track and check the cell phone, you might need to get rid of that too. If you got anything that causes you to worry that much, it may not be for your life. Lord, help me in this house. The reality of this is that God does not want us to have anything that takes our thought life so much that we think about it more than we think about him. The Bible says to us, and I know I'm right about it, the scripture says, the blessings of the Lord add if no sorrow to us. And so what happens is that we get all of this stuff and we get all of these things and we spend all our time thinking about how to manage it and how to keep it when Jesus said, I don't want you to worry about all that stuff. He's, matter of fact, sitting at the disciples. He's sitting with them at the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And in the middle of this sermon, right there, he says, what is all of this worrying about? And he starts teaching them how not to worry. And what he literally says to us is the stuff that worries us or that impacts us the most. And then I looked it up and researched it and found all of this data. It said of the 12 things that impact us the most physically, worry, uh, four of them take place in our head. The other eight take place in our body in different places. 
but there are four residential spaces in your head, and I need to help somebody in here. Your head is not meant to occupy all of those things at one time. And when you got a whole lot of stuff racing around in your head, it's going to give you a headache about the stuff that you really ought to be focused in on. And so what God wants us to do is dismiss some of these things that are running around in our mind that the enemy tries to make high priority for us. And he says, look, let me be your priority and I'll take care of the rest of that stuff. Isaiah 26 and 3 says, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. So the first battleground for worry is the mind. Lord, help me in here. I'm trying to help some of us because what happens to us is that if the enemy gets in your mind and starts you to worry, then it's going to show up in the physicality of your body. It's going to begin to impact you with joints and pain and this and that and sickness and stuff. But God doesn't want you to have all that. Tell somebody you got to set yourself free in the mind. What he wants, the enemy wants, is our mind. So here it is. Jesus said, what you worried about? He starts talking to the disciples. He said, look, I need you to get this. He said, I need you to get, watch this. When, when he starts teaching them, I love this teaching. Here's what he does in, in chapter 6, beginning there, verse number 25. He says, uh, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about your body. Don't worry. Isn't life more than that? Look at what he says in verse number 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't do nothing. They don't sow and they don't reap. They don't even gather in the barns. But your heavenly father feeds them. The first thing he wants you to be reminded of is remember God's record in the earth. Look at how well God takes care of everything that he's put in order. And then he begins to say, look at what God has done. The sun that God started uh, uh, billions of years ago, it's still shining. The moon that he told to shine by night, it's still there. The stars are renewed day by day. The grass keep coming up out of the earth. The birds keep flying through the sky. He says everything continues to perpetuate itself. Stuff that don't even have a relationship with me. I take care of it. But he said, you come here. Aren't you more valuable than this stuff? He said, you're more valuable to me than all of this stuff put together. I wish I had somebody in here. See, whenever you remember God's record, you need to recall your own worth. Tell somebody, you might think I'm worth it, but God says I'm worth it. Look at what he says in that verse. He said, aren't you more valuable? Oh, Lord, help me in here. One of the things that happens to us is we don't know our own self-worth. You don't know how, how precious you are in God's sight. You don't know that God wake up thinking about God. You, every day you wake up, God has already thought about you. He doesn't sleep or ever slumber, but God always has you on his mind. I know he got you on his mind because guess what? Stuff that you didn't know you needed, he's already put it in your pathway. He's already blessed you with blessings that you yet to walk up on. I wish I had somebody in here that did not know what you were going to need yesterday, but God has already put it in your today, and he's already planned out your tomorrow. Come real close to me. You sit next to somebody right now that God put in your life a long time ago, and you didn't know you needed them, but you're so glad they're there right now. Who am I talking to up in here? I'm talking about a God who not only provides, but tell somebody he previews. He looks down the road of my life to see what I need before I get there and puts it there so I can shout when I get there. I wish I had some witnesses in here who know that we serve a God who looks out for us. Look at what he does for us. Look what he says. He said, aren't you more valuable than that? 
Are you worth it? Ask your neighbor, are you worth it? Are you worth it? Ask yourself, am I worth it? Am I worth it? Answer the question, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I may not be worthy, but I'm worth it. See, I need to help somebody in here. Uh, you are a precious commodity. Ain't but one of you. Tell somebody, it ain't but one of me. It ain't but one of me. I'm thankful it ain't but one of me. I'm thankful it ain't but one of you. Matter of fact, the world couldn't handle another one of you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. In other words, you got some unique stuff going on. This kind of crazy don't come just out of a package, amen. You got some idiosyncrasies and some little stuff about you that you don't even understand. Some days you act a certain way that you ain't even figured out yet. But guess what? God knew that when he made you. He knew just how you were when he, and he still loved you anyway. I wish I had somebody in here who understands that they don't understand their own self. But God in his infinite wisdom made you like he made you, loves you like he loves you, and ain't going to let no harm come to you. Who do I have up in here that can celebrate the uniqueness of who you are in Jesus' name? I quit arguing with folk when they say stuff about me. You act like this. Yep, I do. You be, yep, I, and some days I do this and you don't even know. I can't stand it when you do that. I can't either. Lord, help me. But I don't stop right there. I go a little further. I tell them I'm glad that it is not predicated on you liking it. Or you thinking that I'm worthy because God still takes care of me. Last time I checked, the God who made me and knows everything about me, the hairs on my head and the ones that are on the dresser too, the God who knows I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, he still takes care of me. Can I call the record right now? He still wakes me up every day. He still puts food on my table. He still puts a roof over my head. He still puts clothes on my back. And if he don't put money on my pocket, he sends somebody with a gift card to bless me. Who am I talking to in here? Tell somebody I'm glad he made me and I'm not worried about it. He says this. He said, look, look, you're valuable, man. You're valuable, girl. Short hair, you valuable. No hair, you valuable. Little bitty little waist, you valuable. Whole lot of waist, you more valuable. Just more me to love. I should have had some folk in here to say that's me he talking about. All of me, amen. I'm trying to help you in here. Your worth is not dependent on your wear. What you have for the fourth man, we ate Chateaubriand and we ate some scrimps on the grill and what you have, rag bologna, hooked cheese, some coleslaw, but the same God who sent you your filet mignon 
and your scrimps. He was good enough and kind enough to send some rag bologna, some hook cheese, some lemon crackers, and some lemon cookies, and some slaw by the house. And then he really got good. He sent some red Kool-Aid by the house. All want to do is somebody. I wish I had somebody in here that knows that your worth has nothing to do with the stuff you got. It's because God made you and loves you for who you are. So stop worrying about what you don't have. What somebody else got. Stop worrying about it. Bigger the house, the bigger the light bill. Here's what you got to do. You got to remember his record, what he's already done. He took care of some stuff. And if you can't remember, oh, Lord, I feel like this. And if you cannot remember by looking at the earth, the birds, the grass, the maintenance of creation, look back over big mama them life. Look back at mama them. Look at what he did for auntie them and grandmama them. And how they had some situations, but you never knew about it because they made it through. That's because the grace of God, don't make me preach in here, covered them in that situation. And they were able to walk through some stuff. But you ought not have to look back at their life. You ought to be able to look at your own life. Because if you are more than a certain number of years old in this house, God has been good to you too. Ought to have some sanctified witnesses here that's got enough testimony in your own life. Can I preach it like I want to preach it right here? Can you tell your neighbor how good God been? Tell somebody what you're looking at right now is the afterproduct of God keeping it all together. Now under him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his glory with exceeding great joy. That's what God does for me and you every day of our lives. Here's what he says. Look at his record. Tell somebody, look at his record and realize your worth. I got to go on. But Jesus said, don't worry. Look at his record and realize his worth, your worth. You realize your own worth. You are valuable to God. Uh, uh, uh. Now, got to preach all of it, y'all. Been out a couple of weeks, let me preach. Uh, the enemy has positioned some people to uniquely remind you of what you're not worth. They around you, and they check. They, you know, they don't say it overtly. They kind of slip it in in a covert kind of way. But don't spend more time listening to what they say than hearing what Jesus just said. You're valuable, uh, and, and, and oh Lord, and what people do is underestimate you. Because they realize that they're looking at you trying to draw up a calculation or a worth. 
Can I preach it? You cannot get a proper value just by looking at me. You can summarize the cost of what I'm wearing. You can look at what you think I'm worth. You can see what I drive and where I live. But you do not know what God has invested on the inside of me. You do not know how far he'll go to get me and bring me back from what I've been in. Only you know that story. And when you stop and think about how God has gone after you when you got out of God's grace and walked away from the goodness of God and God kept sending his word after you and sending his love to retrieve you and meeting you in hog pen situations and letting his word find you in your Babylonian situation and bringing you out of what you got yourself in. You ought to tell somebody, I must be worth a whole lot more to God than even I knew I was. I can't tell you where I've been and what I've been through and how long I stayed. But if you know how many times God had come to get me out of the trouble I got myself in, tell somebody I must be valuable. Do I have anybody in here that's not ashamed to tell somebody I must be valuable because I know how far away I went. But love kept lifting me. When nothing else could help, God sent his love to redeem me. I tell folk God used enough grace to save a whole lot of small countries on me, man. I know y'all been more saved than I have all your life. I'm glad there wasn't no price on grace because I'd have been bankrupt by now. Here's what he says. First thing he tells is remember God's record and recall your own worth. Psalm 8 reminds me of that. Verse 4. What is man? That thou art mindful of him. You made him a little lower than angels. You put everything under his control. You made all this stuff. And the crown jewel of your creation. is folk like me and you. Rusty. Dusty. Can't get right mess up over and over again but you're still God's greatest thing he ever made folk would throw you away if you can't shout for nobody else shout for yourself he keep on loving me gave me the keys to a house gave me the keys to a car gave me some children and a family gives me a job. I didn't, I didn't get up and put my shoes on my hands today. I didn't get up and put rings on my toes today. Well, some of y'all did, but the truth of it is, is that God loved me enough to keep my mind regulated. God loved me enough to take care of me. I wish I had somebody in here that knows that you are worth something to God. I'm moving on. I gotta go. Well, first thing you shouldn't do, you shouldn't worry because you got to remember God's record and remember that you were something. Oh, Lord. Pierce, where you at? Edward. Edward, where Edward at? Edward. Oh, you were something. Oh, you were something. God, it just ran across my mind. Boy, oh. boy, when I saw you in 17, God, God love you, man. He got something for you to do. I don't know what it is, but you were something to God, man. Oh, God.
talk about ain't supposed to be here. Woo, but you were something to God. Ah, Lord. Find it, man. Find it, man. Help, let us help you find it, man. Woo. Second thing. Woo. Tell somebody I ain't been shot, but I'm worth something to God. Give me a minute to get myself together. Woo. God. reason why you shouldn't worry because it's useless tell somebody to worry is useless it doesn't produce anything verse 27 which of you could add one cubit to your life to your stature by worrying what you gonna fix by worrying if you wake up late and you running late. And you get on the, in the car and drive fast. You still late when you get there. If you go out and party, don't study for the test. Go and take the test and fail the test, don't worry. You earned that F right there. You can't change it. Ain't nothing Brinkley you can do about it. That's your F, right? The best thing you can do is go to the instructor and say, I failed. What do I need to do to raise this F to a low C and get up out of here? Can I make this F or A? You can't do it, amen. I don't care how many more A's you make, you ain't gonna never make that F into an A. You're gonna be there the rest of your life trying to average it up. So if you can get out, I can't worry about this. This is what has happened. Can I help you in here? Uh, you can't worry when people are in their dying days. If you hadn't done it by now, it's too late. I see people start worrying and getting anxious and anxiety sets in. I wrote it down. I told you this is a practical life series. Two weeks ago, you see them, they, you know, Facebooking in the party. Ain't Rudy Bell was sick then, but you never saw her. Yeah, 10 times you drove past her house going to the club. You get the call, ain't Rudy Bell didn't make it. You show up at church and fall out. Don't worry about it. That train done run. Y'all catch it on the way home. You can't change things by worrying about them. Lord, give me the courage to change the things that I can. 
Right? There's some stuff I can't change. I just, I just need to know the difference between them. Give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things that I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. When I can't change, they're going to spend a lot of time trying to overthink it. It has happened. Ain't nothing I can do about it. I need to move on. Jesus said you can't fix anything by worrying about it. Thirdly, I'm moving on. There are three things I'm going to tell you. And then I got three things I want you to focus on in order to overcome it. He said don't worry first of all because you got to remember God's record. You got to recall your own worth. Secondly, because it's useless. Tell somebody it's useless. Thirdly, don't worry because it impacts your actions and interferes with your witness. When you worry, you act like a worried person. Uh-huh. I knew y'all were going to say amen to that. Because, see, you think you can outact your real feelings. But, see, when you got something going on on the inside and you worry, you act like a worried person. And you say worried stuff to people. And you get on folk nerve with your worry. And you act all out of character. But what he says to them is, look, you acting like the folk that don't know God. Because the people that do know God and put their trust in God, they don't worry about all that stuff. In other words, two people can get the same uh, diagnosis on the same day. But the one that knows God ought not to act like the one that doesn't know God. Two people can be laid off on the same job at the same day, but the one that says he trusts in the Lord are not to act like the one that don't know the Lord. He's saying, in other words, if you know the Lord, you ought to act like you know the Lord and not let everything that happened to you set you off and make you pop off up in there. I love it when folks start talking about how much they love Jesus, but then they start falling out and popping off everywhere they go. It makes you wonder how much they really do, because here's the truth. He said, you can't act like what you're going through. Look at it when he says it. He says, look, the Gentiles do that. He said, you got to be different. It cannot impact your witness and mess with your actions. Well, what are the three things you got to do in order to overcome anxiety? First thing you got to do, write these down. You got to have a relationship with your father. You got to develop your faith. And you got to put first things first. Real quick, and I'm going to get out of here. You got to have a relationship with your father. You know that you're a precious commodity. You know that you are a complex creation. You know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. But here's what Jesus said to the disciples. I already told you that, but what, here's what he said to the disciples. O ye of little faith. Four times in scripture we hear Jesus say that. And it is always on the other side of a miracle. He's saying, in other words, I've done something and demonstrated my love and my power and my miracle working ability in your life. But you still don't have enough faith to believe that I'm the God who's able to do what I did. In Matthew chapter 16, they go to the other side and they forgot to bring bread with them. And Jesus looked at them because they had anxiety. Nobody said anything, but all the disciples were standing around looking like the staff at First Baptist Church when something ain't done. And they'd be like, hmm, who, huh, what? And so Jesus saw that worried look on their face. And he walked up to them. He said, you worried because you didn't bring any bread. And they went, uh-oh. He said, but it ain't, the problem is not that you forgot the bread. The problem is that you forgot in chapter 14 of Matthew's gospel that when there was 
was no bread. I blessed the loaves and we ended up with 12 baskets left over. If I'm God of the 14th chapter, then I'm also God of the 16th chapter. If bread is not a problem for me in the 14th chapter, then bread is not a problem for me in the 16th chapter. Come real close to me, Peter. He says it to Peter in Mark chapter 6, O ye of little faith, because you did not know how to handle the storm that you were in. It is not the storm that you're in that I'm tripping about. It's the one that went on in chapter 4 that I brought you out of. And when I brought you out of your chapter 4 storm, you should still know that I'm God of chapter 6 to be able to handle this new storm. I'm just trying to help somebody in here because if you've been through it once, you ought to know God can handle it the second time around. But if you tripping about anxiety this time, it's because maybe you didn't get the message last time. Is there anybody in here that God has ever done anything for that you are able to say, even if I have to go through it again, I know he's able to bring me out. Four times he tells them, oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. Here it is. I done done this for you before. I dried your tears before. I kept the roof over your head before. I patched your life up before. I stretched your money one time when you didn't have no job before. I kept food on your table before. I got your first child through college and now your second one. I got did this before. You acting brand new with me up in here as if I've never done anything for you. When you ought to just be shouting, encore God, do it again. Because the same thing you did last time, God, I just need you to come back and do that again in my life. What he shares with them, he says, is that if you are going to overcome anxiety, you've got to develop your faith. He didn't say they didn't have faith. He says, oh, ye of little faith. Tell somebody I got a little. But I got to develop it. It don't just come. You know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. But I got to develop it. Every storm you're in, you can't run from. Go on, go through it. Get through it. Every situation that comes your way, you can't manipulate the outcomes. Go on, let it happen. Let God deal with it. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He'll take care of it. You'll be all right. God is not a, a man that he should lie. He always takes care of his own. I got to go. Third one, I'm getting out of here. Know who your father is. Develop your faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith allows us to see beyond what we see where we are and what we feel where we are to get to a clear reality. If I'm going to develop my faith, I can't go by what I see in front of me right now. Because if I react to everything that's happening in front of me, that means I don't believe God can make it better on up the road. But when I believe God can make it better, I can handle where I am. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I cannot see it, but I believe there is a better reality for me. I, I cannot embrace it where I am, but I know this is not it. Why? Because it's inconsistent with the word of God. This is not my reality right here because this doesn't line up with the promises of God. I'm about to preach in here and mess with some of your reality right now. Because if God said it and this don't look like what God said, it must be something better on up the road. And so I can't act like my now. I got to keep on shouting to my not yet get here. But you got to learn how to stay faithful, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the word of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain. You can't see it right where you are. But you got to keep moving and pressing. Final things, first things first. Tell somebody to put first things first. Here's what Jesus said. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. What things are you trying to get added to you? You think real quietly on yours, I'm going to think real quietly on mine. What are your things, amen? You're trying to get some things added to your life, right? Let me tell you how to get them. Put God first. Put Jesus and the, his priorities first. Do what the Lord wants you to do first. And then he'll add these things to your life. Here's what I found about stuff that God add to your life. Lord is about to make me shout. Can't nobody take from you what God add to you. When God adds something to you, can't nobody take it from you. Man, God will give you joy. Can't nobody take that from you. God will give you peace. Can't nobody take that from you. When God give you grace, can't nobody take that from you. When God give you contentment, can't nobody take that from you. I mean, when you got that kind of clarity and peace in your life, tell somebody that's some God-given stuff right there. See, most of us think we want the tangibles from God, but tell somebody the intangibles will help you to enjoy the tangible. Because if you don't have the intangible, you can have all the tangible stuff in the world and be unhappy as, can I say unhappy as hell? You be unhappy with all this tangible stuff. But when you got peace and clarity and and when you got love, grace, hope, and understanding, you can be broke as all get out and still be able to celebrate the goodness of God. Who am I talking to in here? You better learn how to celebrate the intangibles and then he'll add the other stuff to you. I done seen folk with stuff be unhappy. But I done seen happy folk with no stuff. I done seen millionaires try to rationalize why not to tithe. And I've seen broke people in Africa dance when they bring their offering around. Intangibles are more valuable than tangibles. But look at what he says. I'll add these things to you. What do you do? Let God's priorities be first. Let God's perspective, what does God see? Look. This is going to be the, one of the, the, the best blessings you can get. We don't always see as God sees. But just because you don't see it the way God sees it, don't argue with it. Don't argue with it. The first thing we like to say is, I feel. If your feelings are getting in the way of God's perspective, lean not to your own understanding. Don't lean to your own understanding. That's the word. Don't, if you don't understand it, God, I don't understand why you're telling me to be nice to them. 
That's God's perspective. That is not the way you would do it. Come on, touch your neighbor and say, that's sure enough not the way I would do it. Amen. Somebody go off on me, I got a taste slapping spirit. And my mama used to say, I slapped the taste out your mouth. I know that none of y'all mama ever say that, but my, I wonder, you know, you ever seen people walking around saying, I can't taste nothing. Well, my mama must have slapped them. Don't get the taste slapped out your mouth. God's perspective is to treat people right. Love people. Be kind-hearted towards people. Three things in God's, in putting God first. God's priorities become before mine. God's perspective is clearer than mine. And God's preeminence in glory is greater than mine. It's never about me. It's always about God. If God is glorified, then I'll be fine. God's priority first. Three points one more time. God's priority, God's perspective, God's preeminence and glory. As long as it glorifies him, then he's able to do it. But then it was Luke's verse that blessed me. Luke took the same sermon on the mount, but here's what he said at the end. He said, uh, don't fear, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Uh, the other day we were in Bible study and, 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 and uh, we did a demonstration. I was standing here and I went position myself right there and I was trying to uh, teach how to trust the father. So my daughter was sitting over there and I told her to get up, to step out. I said, close your eyes to the point where you cannot see. Then blindfolded when she got up there. I said, now listen to my voice and follow me. Come to where I tell you to come. So I said, take three steps. And she took three steps. Then I said, take three more. She took three more. I said, come on, take one over to the left. She did. There was a few obstacles in the way up there. I said, step around to the right. She did. I said, stick your hand out and touch the side of the stage. I didn't tell her which hand, so she held there for a moment. Because sometimes when the father's communicating with you, it's not clear exactly what to do. So if it's not clear, don't do anything. And then when I saw her standing there, I said, your left hand. So she stuck her left hand out. And then she stuck her left hand out. I said, now walk until you're close to my voice, and then I'm going to embrace you when you come. She walked right up to me, and I put my arms around her. That made me feel good. It was a clear illustration. But here's what blessed me. It was when we got home that she explained to me. She said, that wasn't a problem for me. I said, why wasn't it a problem for you? She said, because you're my dad. She said, I've been trusting your voice all my life. She said, what I know about you is that you would never harm me or allow any harm to come my way. She said, it's no problem for me to do what you tell me to do because your record in my life is that you take care of me and do whatever I need done. And then guess what? I had a gift card in my pocket. I reached in there and said, girl, here, you take this right here because it's the father's good pleasure to reward those who know how to seek him and to glorify him and make his name. I'm about to preach and get out. 
out of here. But you better tell somebody he wants to do it more than you want him to do it. The Bible said it's his good pleasure to give you every good and perfect gift. So the stuff you want, God want to give it to you more than you want it. But he wants you to learn how to trust his voice and follow his instruction and let God provide. He'll take care of you. But here's what you got to do. You got to learn how to walk by faith and not by sight. Sometimes there are going to be some obstacles in your way. I'm sure when she closed her eyes, she saw some stuff there. And she said, oh, goodness, I remember there was some stuff, but I can't remember where it is. But she trusted me enough to direct her around it. I want to help about five or six of y'all as I take my seat. You're walking. But you're worried. You're on the right path. He told you where to go. But because you can't see everything, anxiety is building up. God, I can't see the next three months of the note. You told me to start the business, but the new contracts aren't coming as quickly as I thought. You told me to take in the child and to care for the baby, but God, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this stuff. Anxiety is everywhere. Here's what Jesus wants you to do. Stop worrying. Matter of fact, recall God's record and remember your worth. Think of who you are to the master. You're somebody with the kingdom of heaven. God wakes you up every day personally. He don't do no group calls at your house. Everybody wake up one at a time. Everybody fall asleep one at a time. You might cook the same meal, but don't nobody eat the same thing. He fixes everybody in individual place. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Some things you eat, your, your sister and brother don't even like. But God knows what you like and what you need and what they like and what they need. He takes care of his own. I wish I had somebody who could stretch forth your hand and say, I am his own. So therefore, he takes care of me. Quit worrying about your work. Quit worrying about your family. It's not yours anyway. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him. It's useless to worry. It's going to mess up your testimony. How do you get over it? Follow the Father. Listen to what he has to say. Develop your faith so you can hear him more clearly. Put first things first. And remember what God wants to do for you. Can I give you a little song I want to help you with today? The Bible said it is his pleasure to give you the kingdom. That means God is smiling when he does it.
He's smiling. And when God is smiling on you, good things are happening in your life.